No, we, we record for the podcast. So that if you ever want to go back and listen, you can do that. Um, hey, seriously, we are glad y'all are here tonight. Um, you know, we, we love you guys. We hope that y'all enjoy our quesadillas and whatnot. No, really, we're here, we're, we're here for Jesus. So um, I do ask that you excuse my throat tonight because I am dealing with some serious uh, chest issues. So we're going to try to get through this. Uh, does everybody have a Bible or does not? Do, let, me, let me rephrase my question. We have Bibles. If you need a Bible, see Mr. Corey back there because we're going to dig into it tonight. We're going to be uh, talking out of First Thessalonians tonight. Um, we just came out of the epistles of John. You remember we went through First, Second, and Third John. We're moving to Thessalonians tonight, and me and Mr. Corey, we're going to be going back and forth for the next few weeks talking about Thessalonians. And man, I'm excited about this stuff. This is uh, these are some awesome letters to go through. <clears throat> um, do y'all have? On the soundboard up there, do y'all have a PowerPoint for me? Okay, cool. All right, just make sure. Hey, so I brought pictures tonight. We all like pictures. Yeah, pictures. Woo! I still look at picture books. Yeah. Woo! All right. So if there's one thing that I want you guys to take away from tonight, I like to open up every time that I'm granted the opportunity to give a message I always want to leave the impression of that message at the very beginning. So if you don't write anything down, write this down. The, and what that is, is hitting the mark. We're going to be talking about hitting the mark. How can you tell if the gospel of Jesus Christ has hit the mark in your life? How can you tell if you are hitting the mark with the gospel with others in your life? All right, that's what we're going to be talking about. So First Thessalonians. Does anybody know who wrote 1 Thessalonians? We're starting a new series. So what you got? Paul. Paul. Hey, when in doubt, guess Paul. Paul's a good guess. Good job. It was Paul. Now, there's something interesting about 1 Thessalonians. Paul is the primary writer, but there's two other guys that actually helped him in this effort. Does anybody know their names? That's a trick question. What you got? Timothy's one of them. Any other? What you got? Just throw it out there. No. No? That's, that's good guess, though. What you got? Sylvanus. Sylvanus, right. Or Silas. I might call him Silas. That sounds, I don't know, that sounds like a cooler name to me. Sylvanus is a cool name, though. Right. Paul is the primary writer, but Sylvanus slash Silas and Timothy are the writers of 1 Thessalonians. So you have, like, a trio that wrote this letter. It's really cool. We're going to see in 1 Thessalonians, compared to some of the other letters that we've gone through and some of the other scriptures that we've walked through, it's really not theologically like deep. Like We're not going to get lost in a lot of like crazy things, but there are some great things that we're going to uh, be able to glean through and pick up from Paul's writing to this church. Um, now, do we remember who Paul was before he turned into Paul? What was his name? Saul. Saul identified him, identifies himself twice as the author of this letter. He does it, he does it in the first verse. We're going to look at it tonight. Um, but he's writing this letter in the time frame of A.D. 50 to 52. All right. So that's approximately like 15, 20 years after Jesus's death. So not incredibly too long after that. Um, 
And so he's writing to this church in Thessalonia. Does anybody know where Thessalonia would have been located? And you can go ahead and pull that PowerPoint up, by the way. Middle East. Okay. Um, it is kind of in the Middle East. Not quite in the Middle East. What you got? Huh? It is in Greece. That's right. Greece. So um, he's writing to this church in Greece. Um, really cool place. Um, Thessalonica lies near this ancient site here. Uh, it's called Therma. That, that place is called Therma. That's a really cool picture. I'd love to go there. Um, it, it was the capital of Macedonia at the time that Paul wrote this letter. And it, what was unique about it was even though the Romans owned this place, they, they saw the city as a free state. So everybody in the city, like they had their own rules. They had their own like governors and, and people who like ran the city. And that was different compared to some other Roman uh, cities at that time. So keep that in the back of your mind. That's important to remember. Um, and so just some other facts about Macedonia. Um, it was known as, uh, or excuse me, the, the church of Thessalonica was known as the mother of all Macedonia. Um, it was a super strategic location. So uh, can you go to the next slide, please? Uh, okay, I must have messed with my slides. Anyways, um, so uh, the, the, the reason that this was a strategic location was because it was right on a port. So we live in uh, Camden. I'm sure most of you do. Some of you might not live here specifically. But what do we have here? We have a base on the water. Right, so we get a lot of people coming in. We get a lot of military people. You say trees, yeah. a lot of trees, <laughs> a lot, of, lot of water, a lot of, a lot of sand gnats, right? Grass. Grass. So it's strategic though because this place was right on the water. Interstate. Yeah, and, and and that's actually a good point. So go to the next slide, please. Okay, so that's just the general location of where we're talking about. That's Greece, right? All right, one more slide. <clears throat> That's modern-day Thessalonica, okay? It's actually a really pretty city. All right, one more slide. Okay, I'm here. I'm, I'm where I need to be now. All right, so this right here, this is the interstate in the, Rome, in the Roman times. You see it? Yeah. It looks really bumpy, right? Wouldn't want to ride on that. Okay, so what this is called, um, that's called the Via Ignata. That's a cool word, Via Ignata. So this... Roman road actually went right into the city. And so you had like masses of people traveling up and down through this place. So the way I think about it is like, y'all been to Jacksonville, right? You know, all the roads down there. Like this place was like Jacksonville. You had interstates going through it. I mean, people coming in and out, boats, all sorts of stuff was happening. And the, the picture that we saw a couple of slides ago where it was like modern day Thessalonica, there's really no ruins of it because they built the city on top of it. Um, and so when you get an influx of people, you get all sorts of religions. You get all sorts of, <laughs> you get all sorts of, uh, yeah, mainly religions. Sorry, my daughter dropped something. Um, and so uh, this, this was a melting pot for Paul to write this letter to this church. Um, everything that this city had was making people come to it. It had money. It had all the spices. It had anything in the world during that time that you would want. This was the place to go. Um, it was full of Greeks. It was full of Jewish people. It was full of Romans. And Paul knew 
that if he could change the hearts of just a few people in this town, that the gospel would spread like wildfire there. And so he and his colleagues, remember, is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They were on fire for God, and so they committed to bring the good news to these people. So tonight is going to be a little different. We're going to get into Thessalonians here soon, but I want to first read out of Acts, the book of Acts. Okay, so if you don't mind, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 17. And the reason I'm turning to Acts chapter 17 is because we're going to read about Paul discovering this church and helping to create this church. So Acts chapter 17, verse 1, goes like this. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. So right there we see Paul. He's on his second missionary journey. Can you um, switch the slides for me, please? Okay, that's just the road that I saw. That's the big interstate, right, um, that runs the area. Okay, so Paul and Timothy and Silas, they went all in this area, basically spreading the gospel. And you can see... Thessalonica up top, about mid, midways there. And so what we have here in Acts chapter 17 is Paul coming to Thessalonica. And what was the first thing that Paul did in verse uh, 3? Anybody? He talked about Jesus. He went straight to the synagogue and he started talking about Jesus. And so in verse 4 it says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the le- and and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, "These men who have turned the world upside down have also have come here also." And then look at verse eight. It says, "And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things." Verse 9, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. So what ends up happening in those first nine, in those nine verses of chapter 17 in Acts is Paul basically spreads the gospel to just a few people, a handful of people in this city. Thessalonica had approximately 200,000 people living in there at the time that Paul and the missionaries went there. So again, imagine going to Jacksonville and trying to evangelize with just a handful of people. That's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. And so they go in, they spread the gospel, they get some converts, and then a mob forms. And they're like, hey, we want you out of our city. We don't care for you anymore. So what ends up happening is Paul and Silas and Timothy, they end up getting ran out of town. They get ran out of town. And so what's left behind is you have just a few Christians at this church of Thessalonica, okay? And so that's where we land tonight. This is why we have the letter of 1 Thessalonians. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about not only 1 Thessalonians, but 2 Thessalonians as well. Um, 
One of the things that I thought was really interesting, though, about just this first section in Acts that we just went through was the fact that there was a lot of adversity that these Christians that started this church that they had to go through. And what was cool about it is that the church continued to grow despite the adversity. So remember, they had just a handful of Christians, handful of true Christians that believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet this church bloomed into something massive. Remember, Thessalonica was right on a port. It was right on what I call the interstate, the Via Ignata. So they, once these Christians got rooted and that church started to get grounded, you had all these people coming through. So they had all this opportunity to spread the gospel. So Paul, along with God being sovereign as he is, Paul had a purpose in choosing Thessalonica. And this was it. It was a major place. It was a, it was a perfect place, crossroads for a lot of people to hear the gospel. And so immediately after them getting kicked out, Paul went to evangelize in another place called Berea. Um, but the whole time, Paul kept these Christians on his mind. And remember, tonight we're going to be talking about hitting the spot. So hitting the spot, has the gospel hit the spot in your life to change your life? And then is the gospel hitting, are are you using the gospel to hit the spot in other people's lives? So keep that in the back of your mind. Paul never quit thinking about this church once he left. That's really cool. So we're about to get into Thessalonians. As I mentioned, I wanted to give a uh, somewhat of a, a good introduction because it's important that we understand what's going on as we go through this letter. We're going to keep referencing back to why Paul wrote this letter. Um, Mr. Corey is going to be speaking next week out of chapter two. A lot of the things that you're going to hear in the first 10 verses that we're going through tonight, we're going to keep coming back to those. Paul continues to readdress a lot of these things in this letter. Um, you're going to hear a lot of encouragement. Paul was encouraging this church because remember, Paul had to leave. He had he basically got kicked out of this town. So he was writing to them to encourage them. He was writing to them to comfort them. Why did they need to be comforted or comforted? It's because they were in adversity. They they were they were remember there was a mob that formed when the gospel took root there. So they were trying to extinguish the the little bit of light that was coming from that church. You're going to see a lot of joy. Uh, I, I personally believe, and, and Mr. Corey back there might uh, agree with me, that this is Paul's favorite church that he's ever written to. I mean, you're going to see it. Like, Paul is like, this is, I mean, they're, they're best buds. And so that's really cool because we have we went through Galatians before, right? And Paul's kind of like, man, gruff with Galatians. Um, and so uh, those are some of the themes and, and reasons that, that Paul wrote this letter um, so if you don't mind switching slides one more time, but it's my last slide coming up, uh, the other way, uh, the other way, go back the opposite way as you're going. Okay. Um, not that way. Uh, anyways, uh, don't worry about the slide. Uh, so, <coughs> um, we're going to jump into first Thessalonians. So if you don't mind, uh, in honor of reading God's word, would you mind standing as we read the first 10 verses of 1 Thessalonians? All right. So this is how it goes. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I'll pray for us real quick, and you can have a seat. Lord, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for bringing us here. God, as we explore your word tonight, just open our hearts and help us um, just learn what you want us to learn and, and, and grow closer to you through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're familiar with some of Paul's letters, he always opens up with an introduction, right? And that introduction is typically um, regarding grace. And he says right here in verse one, he says, grace to you and peace. Now, it's, it's really easy sometimes to, to miss small words like that. Grace and peace, that is so important because we only get that through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is establishing. He's setting the tone here. He's like, you only get this from Jesus Christ. Paul gracefully recounts how God brought the Thessalonians to this point in their Christian experience here. And remember who these converts were that Paul was writing to you remember what we or what I said earlier it was Greeks Romans and then who was the third one Jewish people it was Jewish people and so so Paul here is establishing who Jesus was to these people Um, so verse 2 says we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers Paul and his companions prayed frequently for these people. He prayed frequently. And actually there's three separate places here in First Thessalonians where you see that. There's a lot of frequency of prayer here in these <clears throat> in this letter. He gives thanks for these people. So have you ever done that? Have you ever like just like sat back and, and looked at the people that God has put in your life and you're like, man, God, thank you for this friend. Thank you for my parents. Thank you for whoever it is. That's what Paul's doing here. That just shows the type of love that Paul had for this church. It was a fond affection. It was an intense thanksgiving. And on top of that, isn't it encouraging when somebody says, hey, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, Mr. Corey. It's encouraging. Thanks, bro. So it's super encouraging. Remember, encouraging is one of those things that this letter continues to emit. We're going to see a lot of encouragement come out of this letter. Verse 3 says... Or excuse me, starting with verse two, it says, we give thanks to God always, or excuse me, we give thanks to God always for all of you, 
constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul is basically admiring their diligence, their Christian diligence, which springs from the faith, hope, and love. Have y'all heard that uh, before Paul used faith, hope, and love in some of his writings? He's done it before in, in Colossians and Corinthians, Galatians. He loves that. It's, it's a triad. He loves that triad, and he throws it in here. It's a Pauline favorite. And so what he's basically saying is he's saying, hey, good job, guys. Good job on being uh, continual in, in your diligence, in, in spreading the gospel, in living for Christ. Remember, this was a handful of Christians that started here that helped this church become what it was. Some cool things to think about here in, the, in verses 2 and 3 is the fact that faith is actually com- produces action. So Galatians 5, 6, just reading this for you, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now you might be asking, why are we talking about <clears throat> action and faith here? Well, it's because here in the verses, Paul says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. So Paul is basically saying, hey, you don't do works because you think that you have to, to, to appease God. No, you do works because you love God. You do it out of faith. For in Christ Jesus, only faith working through love is when that comes through. And then he also talks about laboring for God and how the labors for God only comes for love for God. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So Paul uses a lot of, lot of really cool words here to describe his love for the Galatians and how they've been persistent, how they've continued to stay in step with the gospel. In verse 4, he continues, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul here is saying that these people are elect. These people were chosen by God to receive that message. That's a cool thing. If you know your Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ, excuse me, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that's an awesome, you are a child of God. Like we should be celebrating that. We are a child of God. We talked about that in Second uh, John 2. I think Second John, or John opens that letter saying the same thing. He's talking to an elect lady. It's really cool. So verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with, cool, and with full conviction. Do you all know what the gospel means? Like what the word God, gospel means? Have you all heard that? Good news. I'm sure you have. Good news. Gospel. What you got? Yeah, I mean, well, what I was meaning was like, it actually refers to like good news. But yeah, the gospel, the first four books of the Bible, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, but what Paul is saying here is the gospel came to them in word, first and foremost. So there's actually something really interesting. Um, let me find that real quick in my notes. 
um, about the gospel coming in word. Let's see. Sorry, lost the spot. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, 17. And so not only did this come in word because Paul and his other disciples brought it, but it came in Holy Spirit power. It says that there in, in, the ver- in verse 5, but it came in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, with full conviction. That means that all three of those things that came together, these people knew, these people knew Christ at that point, these, these few faithful followers. This, this word that Paul uses, the conviction, is a complete confidence and assurance of someone's state. So again, Paul is given confidence that the message that they delivered to the Galatians, it hit its mark. It hit its mark with these people. When Paul and Timothy and Silas presented the gospel, the communication came with this awesome power and the Holy Spirit. It invigorated that place and it completely changed everything about that church. So verses 6 through 10, which we're about to go through, you're going to see that the first five verses that we've just talked about, the, this is basically their response to the gospel. The last five verses is, is the church's response to the gospel. It's further assurance that these people are saved. So starting with verse six, it says, And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So this is, I've got a word to, to teach you guys tonight, and it's, uh, it's kind of a funny sounding word. It goes, imitatio. Can you say that? Imitatio. imitatio. Basically, imitate. <laughs> Has, have you ever had like a sibling or somebody like go around you and do the same thing that you're doing? It just annoys the heck out of you? Yes. You do? Yeah. I, I used to have it all, I had a cousin that used to do it, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to strangle her sometimes. But... Yeah, well, we don't, we shouldn't do that, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so this is a really cool theme that we're going to be talking about in Thessalonians that Paul writes about, and what, what, this is how it goes. Paul imitates Christ, and then the churches imitate Paul's model as well as one another, so there's this big, like, circle of imitation, And so verse six, again, it says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul is saying here that these people, these people mimicked him and Silas and Timothy. They, they imitated them because Paul was following Christ wholeheartedly. And so it makes me think about how I, in my own life, who am I imitating? Who have I tried to imitate in my life? Is it someone who is following Christ? Is it someone who has a strong relationship with Jesus Christ? And I know that when I look at that person, you know, I'm going to be better from that. Or is that not the case? I've had to recollect and look at that in my life before. But ultimately, the person who we should be imitating is Jesus Christ. And that's what we have God's word for. Verse 6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Remember, these people received the, the message from Paul in a lot of affliction. 
Remember the mob that formed. Remember the mob that kicked Paul and the other disciples out. They had suffered a lot for the sake of the gospel. Persecution had arrived really hard on their heels. But what's really cool about this is that Paul says that not only did they see a lot of affliction, but they had a joy that comes only from the Holy Spirit. So that's really cool. That's a really cool thing about being a saved individual in Jesus Christ is that you can go through the worst things in this life and you have this joy that just continues to come out. And that's what Paul is saying. He's confident here in the believer's salvation because they have that spirit. They have that joy. Earthly explanations cannot explain joy when you have bad things going on in life. And the, and the spirit was present. There was this peace that kind of transcended their understanding. Another cool thing that stuck out about this was that this was a young church. Just because they were young didn't mean anything. Paul's writing to this church as if they were adults. He was confident in this church. From the earliest days of receiving the gospel, these, these, these people took off, they endured persecution, and they had joy that came from the Holy Spirit. And at the end of verse 7, it says, you be, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. These people were doing such a good job imitating Paul and imitating Christ that the gospel was spreading all around that region in Greece. That's really cool. Like, remember, it was a handful of people that this, this, this church started with, and it started blossoming out into something pretty cool. They were examples. The word that Paul actually used for examples is a Greek word that describes a seal that marked wax or a stamp that minted coins. And so he was basically saying, y'all are being model believers. You're leaving your mark on others. There's a lot of people that they were affecting. So verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And then the last few verses, verses 8 through 10, it says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we not need say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So one of the really neat things about Thessalonians is these couple of verses here as we close out in chapter one are going to push us into the subsequent chapters in chapters two, three, and four as we get, as Mr. Corey brings it next week. Um, one, of the inter- one of the neat things is that like all believers and in the present age that we live in today, we await the return of Jesus. We know that Jesus has died. We know that Jesus has ascended to heaven, but we also know he's going to come back one day. And so what Paul is writing here is that these people at this time, they thought that it could have happened in their day and that they were expecting it. They were waiting for it. They were being such models of it that they were, their faith had gone forth everywhere. And he, and he continues in verse uh, nine says, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
That's the true marks of, of conversion, is what Paul is getting at there. The true marks of conversion is turning from idols, serving God, and then waiting for Christ to return. So in these two short letters to the Thessalonians, Paul speaks much about the second coming of Christ. We're going to get into some really interesting topics over the next few weeks. I hope you all come back. Um, but one of the cool things to take away from just this chapter one is the concern that Paul had for this church and how we should model that concern for the people that we have in our lives around us, how he continued to encourage these people. Even though he wasn't with them anymore, he continued to write to them. He continued to love them and show his support for them, how he continued to thank God for these believers. And so that's what the, the title of this of leaving your mark was kind of meant. How are you leaving your mark on people in your own life? Do you have friends that you know that don't know Jesus that maybe you need to reach out to to see if the gospel could affect their lives in, in the positive way? And I just want to encourage you guys, like, it's, it's, it's great to not only see you here, but it's great to hear about cool things that you do in the name of the Lord. Like, we just had someone get baptized a couple of weeks ago, and, and that continues to happen. But finding assurance that God is using this ministry, this group of people, to call others to himself is, is really neat. And us as leaders, we love hearing that. So I, I want to encourage y'all not only to keep coming back to continue to get into 1 Thessalonians, but just to continue to walk with Christ, to continue to imitate Christ. Just as the church that we talked about tonight imitated Paul and Christ, so we can find that encouragement by reading his letter and by continuing to study his word. Who are we being imitators for? Who are we taking the gospel to? Remember, this church started with a handful of people. And it was one of Paul's, it, it seems like one of Paul's favorite churches in all of his writings because of how wonderful they did spreading the gospel, keeping the gospel, and keeping that hope. If anybody has any questions, we're always here to answer those. If you, if you don't know how to accept Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that tonight. Um, prayer requests, we always have a basket up here. There's a few cards on the chairs. If you have any prayer requests, y'all please send them in. We, we actually take those and we pray for you and whatever situation it is, because uh, we love y'all and we want the best for y'all. Um, so I love you guys. Thank y'all for spending some time studying God's Word tonight. And we're going to get up and sing one more song.